0: Let's get into main topic number one. Rob, what is our first main topic today?
1: Well, John Amon writes in and says, hello, John. So the Suicide Squad dropped a massive 70% on the second weekend. It came in the fifth spot in the box office derby. I don't think we can still point to the Delta variant as the reason when your $185 million movie came in the fifth spot on the second weekend. This is a complete disaster. James Gunn deserves much better. What do you think, John? Well, John, uh, I can tell you what I think, and I don't think uh, he's wrong. Um, it's it is, I think, a real bummer. I, I actually watched Suicide Squad again for a second time this weekend, and I, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it's so much fun. But I was thinking when I was watching it, why didn't this movie connect? And I really and it might not have connected the way we all thought it did, is it's really, it's really niche. I mean, it has a very specific tone to it that is very much James Gunn. You see it in Slither, you see it in Super, you've seen it in Guardians of the Galaxy. But where Guardians of the Galaxy, even though it had Groot and it had Rocket in it, I think it was more accessible in terms of its humor to general audiences. Suicide Squad is really more along the lines of Slither. And I think that you have to have a certain sensibility, maybe, and that it might not cross over to all audiences the way Guardians of the Galaxy did. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I came away the second time. And Forbes says this. Alas, the Suicide Squad found... ...in week two, dropping a massive 70.5% from an already disappointing $26.1 million opening weekend. That's the biggest drop ever... For a big comic book superhero movie, below only the 78% drop for Shaquille O'Neal's Steel. Oof, ouch. <laughs> a $17 million Warner Brothers flick that opened with just $870,008 in 1,260 theaters 23 years ago today, among all relevant comic book superhero flicks. You know, I also wanted to say one more thing, John. The HBO Max release, I mean, for me, it was just like, I want to watch this movie again. Oh, I just laid down on my bed and clicked it on an HBO Max instead of going to the theater. I think all of these things are contributing factors. What do you think?
0: Well, I mean, yeah, you look at this. Look, we always tell people under normal circumstances, normally, what you want to see generally is a 50 to 60% drop at the box office from week one to week two. That's an acceptable range. That's pretty standard. If you drop less than 50%, that's awesome. I mean, that's, that's cause for celebration. Anything mm. over 60%, it's cause for concern. And 70 that's huge. Listen, there are several, just like the opening weekend, there's no one magic bullet here. There, like, there's no one thing that made Suicide Squad underperform, particularly for the quality of movie that it is. Because this movie, mm. you and I agree, Rob, this movie's outstanding. This is an absolutely is. fun, wonderful, fantastic film. And we went through all the lists before about, you know, what was working against it. We talked about all the things working against it before the movie ever came out. We didn't just, you know, hop on the bandwagon and do a post-mortem. Like, we gave a list of things. This is why Suicide Squad is going to struggle at the weekend, despite the fact that it's so good. And sure enough, it did. When you're going into the second weekend, two things become most prominent. Uh, one... the 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 pandemic because with the pandemic what you've got is more people weeded out of the people who want to go see it are going to go see it opening weekend the people who are comfortable to go to the movies they're going to go to the movies on the opening weekend but rob you cannot underplay this is a huge hbo max issue this is a big hbo max issue because you are not going to get second viewings even from people that love the movie rob you and i have friends that love suicide squad and they went to the theater to see it but then when they wanted to watch it again they just sat at home and watched it at home i mean that's the thing you eliminate second time viewings from that and you're going to get a big drop off from that so we all we already have an environment where people who are comfortable with going to the movie they're going to go earlier And then the HBO Max thing, killing any second viewings. Now, some people might want to bring up, well, John, look at Jungle Cruise. Jungle Cruise took a 55% drop, which which is significantly less of a drop than Suicide Squad did, and it had home viewings as well. Yes, but the difference between Suicide Squad and Jungle Cruise was that Jungle Cruise, you actually had to pony up another 30 bucks to be able to watch it at home. Whereas with HBO Max if you have HBO, you don't have to pony up any more money. And so, look, I'm not saying that HBO Max is the main reason the first weekend had such a struggle. I mean, we gave a big list of nine things there, Rob, about why we felt the the first weekend struggled. But we said last week that HBO is really going to kill second weekend stuff because no second viewings. And Rob... Like, when I go to see a movie for a second time or a third time on the following weekend, I'm usually bringing different people with me. Like, yep. I go to see it one weekend with certain friends, and I go to see it another weekend with other friends. That's out the window, too. So if you're looking for things that account for that extra 12 13 14%, I think, look, like everything else, there's not one reason, but I think you'd have to be sticking your head in the sand a little bit not to acknowledge that the HBO Max factor is absolutely huge in Killing Second Weekend, especially with a good film like this. So, and again, you know, they said it right in the question, Rob, James Gunn deserved better. He delivered an amazing, entertaining, fun film. And uh, it's really too bad for the results that it is getting. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. 70%. Can't gloss that over. That is a huge drop from an already small opening weekend for a movie like Suicide Squad. What are you attributed to? Do you agree with us? A lot has to do with HBO Max. It could be the pandemic. How are you guys feeling about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. Uh, and by the way, Jaden Horsley sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Jaden. Appreciate that, man. Okay. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Thomas Patterson, who writes, So, the numbers are in. Free Guy scored a box office result of $28.4 million domestically. This obviously comes in ahead of Suicide Squad's $26.5 million and just below Jungle Cruise's $34.5 million. However, unlike those films, which cost closer to $200 million, Free Guy was made for the $100 to $125 million range. Does this point to the strength of theatrical only model, given that Free Guy was an original film not based on any pre existing IP and actually did better as the weekend went on instead of grosses falling as the weekend went on, like Black Widow and The Suicide Squad did? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, a lot of people forget that Free Guy despite having Ryan Reynolds in it, is not a movie that a ton of people were going to go see. Rob, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's like, you know, the marketing's whatever. This isn't actually a video game movie. It's not even based on any recognizable pre-existing IP. This isn't a sequel. This isn't a remake. It's it's about a virtual character living inside of a game. I mean, and we talked about how that, that's, that's not spelling huge box office success. However, the movie came out, and scored extremely well. As Variety writes, Box Office Free Guy debuts at number one with surprisingly strong, $28.4 million. Again, the budget for this movie came in around $100 million, and the opening weekend, if you count international numbers, have already made half of that with $51 million collectively at the box office. For a small film, not based on any pre-existing IP, which I would argue, Rob, in a pre-pandemic era wouldn't have done all that well. And this movie's fantastic. Like I absolutely love this movie. I've been encouraging people for weeks that if you're going to go to the movies this weekend, do a double feature. Go see Suicide Squad and Free Guy and you're going to have a good time. I had an absolutely delightful free time. But Rob, one of the things they bring up in the email is really key here that unlike a lot of these other movies like Jungle Cruise, like Suicide Squad, like Black Widow, the opening weekend numbers dropped from day to day. Whereas with Free Guy, they actually went up because word of mouth started getting out about it and it just started to go up. And it's not rated R like Suicide Squad, so parents couldn't hear, oh, that's a good movie? Let's bring the kiddos. So that was kind of working against it as well. And they actually went up. Now, we're going to talk in a minute about Disney obviously being very happy with the results because they've already ordered a sequel, but we'll talk about that in just a minute. But Rob, when you look at the first Suicide Squad, I, the 2017, is that when the first Suicide Squad came out? Can't remember. Around I think there. 16. 16. I think you're probably right. You know, a ragtag group of unknown characters and big bombastic whatever, although it wasn't rated R. You know, that thing comes in at, I can't remember how many millions of dollars that thing. It was a big opening weekend for Suicide Squad. Now you come into this and its sequel made less than this little original non-IP based movie and by the way don't trick yourself into thinking well ryan reynolds is in it and all ryan reynolds movies make money well we just had the hitman's wife's bodyguard that proves that that's not the case and you had the great samuel jackson and selma hayek in that as well Uh, uh antonio banderas was in that as well and it it didn't do anything Rob, this exceeded my expectations. It exceeded a lot of people's expectations. This comes just from the folks over at Variety who writes, Despite concerns the Delta variant would keep moviegoers at home, Ryan Reynolds' sci-fi action comedy Free Guy had a better-than-expected start at the domestic box office. The movie from Disney and 20th Century Studios collected $26 million from 4,165 North American theaters. Overseas Free Guy amassed $22.5 million for a global tally of $51 million. Now remember, again, we're not talking about a big comic book movie. We're not talking about this is pretty impressive for a film of this nature. Obviously, um, the pandemic played a part. Obviously, if it wasn't for the fact that we're in a pandemic, it probably would have done even better. But this is a great result for this. And Rob, I think when you start looking at something like this, where you're seeing this little movie, not based, it's completely original, not based on any pre-existing IP, doing numbers like this and doing better than a comic book property like Suicide Squad, competing with a big recognizable IP like Jungle Cruise with Dwayne The Rock Johnson in it, I think it speaks a lot to the contributing factor of they just put this thing in theaters. And I think that contributed to its success. And I think the studio and Disney reaped millions of extra dollars from this thing being in theaters than they would have if they tried to also put it on Disney+. Plus. At any rate, I am very excited for this movie. Because I think this movie deserves it. I've seen it three times already. I'm probably going to go back and see it for a fourth. This is a big win for them. Anyway, Rob, you had a chance to take a look at these numbers and these results. What do you make of it?
1: Well, first of all, I, I to be honest, I haven't seen Free Guy. But, you know, for my – and I really want to see it. I just – I had to work all weekend. One of the things about this movie that I think it had going for it was I thought it had a brilliant premise – We all have played, you know, sandbox video games, whether it's Grand Theft Auto or, you know, take cyberpunk. What is it, 2079 or whatever? We all know what that's like. And non-player characters are a big deal in these games. And the very idea that, you know, you're in this real world and you're going to follow a a, a virtual world, you're going to follow a non-player character, that in itself is one of those genius ideas that comes along once in a lifetime. And then... You're like, well, what if that guy was Ryan Reynolds? I'm like, I can't imagine a higher concept studio idea that deserved to get made. And it looks like love the movie. I haven't talked to anybody that's disliked the film. And it seems like they took that premise. And Sean Levy, obviously, I really like him as a director. I think he's able to, to take these great studio premises and, and turn them into movies that people love. Because he combines the great premise with a lot of emotion and heart, which a lot of people wouldn't necessarily do. And that's why I think it's done as well as it has. I mean, I think Free Guy, it, 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 and this is coming from someone who hasn't seen the movie. I think people, because we now live in a gaming culture, people are going to be watching this movie for the next two decades. Because everybody understands what it's about. And it's such a clever idea. I, I, to me, it's an irresistible it's it's just one of those great ideas, and um, that's why I think people are going to see it because people you know we're all gamers now, so yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. And and I I just I wonder how this would have done in a non pandemic era, I, I I really do. But this thing is great, positive word of mouth. I'm going to be very interested, Rob, next week to see what kind of drop it yeah. takes. Will it fall in that say, fifty to sixty percent drop? Like will word of mouth keep it in there guys please go to see this movie in theaters it is so much fun it's it's not going to win any oscars it's not citizen kane but it is just a delightfully entertaining film and good for the family as well uh just real real fun so i'm going to be very curious to see will it exceed 60 percent drop like a lot of other films in this pandemic era are will it be able to stay in that 50 to 60 range hell will it even take less than that i don't know we'll have to wait and see the question is for you guys why do you think that a movie like Free Guy was able to come in and exceed all expectations when other films have struggled to do so? Is it the fact that it was a theatrical-only release? Was it a fact that it was a non-rated R film? Could there be other factors involved? How are you guys feeling about this? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's move on to main topic number three, shall we? And our third main topic today, Rob, what is our third main topic today? Well, oh, Rob froze, Rob froze. I don't know why his stream froze here for a second. Let me see if I can get him back. Give me one second. I am sure I'll be able to get Rob back. Give me one quick second here. I am just going to try something quickly and I think I'm going to be able to get him back. Oh, the joys of uh, technical stuff. Okay, Rob's back. Rob, what is our third main topic This is
1: interesting because I was watching on the thing. It was popping in and out viewers, so it was like I was disappearing from the room. Uh, As i say a free guy, (laughs) Michael uh, Solarek says, Hi, John and crew. I just got out of seeing free guy, and I liked it a lot. It really was a movie that had a lot of heart, and it just felt like the movie we needed right now. Now, earlier, you said that Disney had faith in this movie, and I guess you were right, because Ryan Reynolds said on Twitter, Disney wants a sequel. What are your guys' thoughts, and are you excited for more adventures in this world? Well, look, judging by the audience response from this movie, or to this movie, people love this movie. And this is exactly the kind of movie that deserves, if audiences love the film, well, isn't that the exact kind of movie that you want someone to make a sequel I think that I have to say, when I went and saw Deadpool 2, I'm like, I look, everyone loved Deadpool, but could Deadpool 2 be just as good? Well, it was, you know. <laughs> and I I I think of Ryan Ryan Reynolds would not I don't think he would allow a free guy to be good. So I'm excited, man. I I'm I'm excited for people that really like a movie. I like hearing people positive, and not saying this movie sucks. So tired of that. Uh, and and it's great. I think it's great. And um, Variety says, according to Ryan Reynolds, a Free Guy sequel is in the cards. Reynolds, who stars in the action comedy film, tweeted the news on Saturday. And after three years messaging hashtag Free Guy as an original IP movie, Disney confirmed today they want a sequel. Woo. Hashtag irony. <laughs> Variety. So, yeah, man, what do you think? I mean, you've seen it. Obviously, I'm talking out of my wazoo because I haven't, but I would just assume uh, that it could only be a good thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, we talked the other day about the fact that one of the reasons, at least Sean Levy, the director of the film, what he said, and we quoted him on this show. He said that the reason Disney wanted to keep it theatrical was because they really believed it could find an audience and they really believe it could be the start of a new franchise. They believed in it that much. Well, that's all great. You know, as we say on here all the time, Rob, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And I think that's what happens. And But, you know, this thing opened up. It exceeded expectations at the box office. It, given current circumstances, I should say, it, it exceeded expectations. And Disney was clearly happy with the results. And they've told Ryan Reynolds that they want another one. And to me, this is great. Um, because, like I said, I have seen this movie now three times. Three times I've gone to see it. And, you know, as critical as I have been, rightfully so, uh, about, you know, certain things going on right now, the idea of a movie like Free Guy getting a, a sequel to me is fantastic because not only was the first one joyous and entertaining and fun and with a lot of laughs, and it just makes you feel good. It is also a world that they created that you can tell more stories there. There are more to tell. There's next chapters to come. What happens now? For those of you who've seen the movie, you know what I mean. It ends on a certain note. And it's like it ends... Here's how I'll put it. The movie ends like chapter one of a new story. You know what I mean? For those of you who've seen it, you know what I mean. The movie ends as if it was chapter one of a brand new story. So you got through you know, your story here in Free Guy, and then the ending didn't feel like an ending. It felt like the start of another chapter and for me that's pretty exciting to see it's also nice to see uh, you know being in the pandemic as we are it's nice to be able to have some success stories that a movie not only exceeded its expectations but it was believed in so much that the studio wants to go ahead and green light a sequel so for me, this is great. Couldn't be happier for Sean Levy. Couldn't be happier for Ryan Reynolds. Couldn't be happier for us as film fans. These are the types of movies. I like what they said, Rob, in the, uh, in the email. They said, you know, it's just the kind of movie that we need right now. You know, and I completely yeah. agree with that. It's absolutely the kind of movie we need right now. And to see this type of movie get that kind of success is pretty cool. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about the fact that they have apparently now ordered a Free Guy sequel? Maybe some of you guys haven't had a chance to see Free Guy yet. Get out and go see it. For those of you who have seen it, I'm curious. What do you think? Maybe you feel like, hey, the movie was great, but I feel like one story was exactly what it should be. We should move on. Maybe you feel like me, that it, you felt like it ended like the beginning of a new story. However you guys feel about it, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. And by the way, our friend Banana Apple sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Banana Apple. Appreciate that, man. All right. Uh, with that, and by the way, our friend John Demoto also sent in a super chat badge. Thank you, John. All right. Let's now move on to main topic number four, shall we? And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by James, who writes, "Hi, John and crew. First time writing in, so be gentle. Well, good to have you here, James. Thanks for writing in." I wanted to know if you saw the latest PR nightmare for Bob Chapek after Simu Lu, By the way, Bob Chapek, for those who don't know, is the new CEO of Disney. After Simu Lu, who is the star of Shang-Chi, hit back at a comment he made that Shang-Chi was an experiment. It is starting to feel like the tide is turning against Chapek right now with a dark cloud seemingly hanging over Disney slash Marvel. Can you see a time coming where he is no longer Disney CEO? Thanks and much love from the UK. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, this is all coming from a story that we talked about the other day where Bob Chapek was talking on an investor's call. And he basically said, where he confirmed, yeah, we are keeping Shang-Chi as a theatrical release. We are not going to put it on Disney+. Plus. Hell, even if we wanted to, it's too late for us to do that, which, no, it wasn't. It's not too late for them to do that. But... You know, and I think kudos are deserved that they're keeping Shang-Chi a theatrical film. That's how the filmmakers want it. That's how the stars want it. That's how us cinephiles want it. So that's great. However, in those comments, he also said, and you know, the film's a nice little experiment for us because it's going to be the first theatrical film that they put out under the new model, Rob. The new paradigm that we have in the cinematic industry, which is the 45-day theatrical window. That's that's going to be the new normal moving forward for this. And, you know, Bob Chapek said, you know, the movie's a nice little experiment for us to test with this and blah, blah, blah. And listen, I'll tell you what. At the time, I, I didn't really make anything of it until somebody else made something out of it. See, those comments didn't sit very well with the filmmakers or the star of the new Shang-Chi film, Simu Liu, uh, and whereas he came out and kind of said the following. This comes to us from the folks over at ScreenRant who write, Simu Lu has responded to Disney CEO Bob Chapek's statement that Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is an interesting experiment for the company. Speaking at the Disney Q3 uh, earnings call on Thursday, Chapek confirmed that Shang-Chi will have an exclusive theatrical release for 45 days before heading to streaming. This is a departure from the hybrid day and date release of its films that were shown during the pandemic, including Cruella and Black Widow. The Disney CEO called Shang-Chi's theater-only premiere an interesting experiment. And that came to us from there. All right. On its surface, I didn't really make anything out of this too much. But, but Simu Lu did, because this is what he said: Simu Lu put out a tweet that said, We are not an experiment. We are the underdog, the underestimated. We are the ceiling breakers. We are the celebration of culture and joy that will persevere after an embattled year. We are the surprise. I'm fired the fuck up to make history on September 3rd. Join us. And that comes to us from Simu Liu. All right. Let me say this first. Let me say this first. Do I think that when Bob Chapek came out and referred to Shang-Chi as an interesting experiment that Bob Chapek was intentionally belittling and for lack of a better phrase, downsizing the importance of the movie Shang-Chi. Let me go on record to say, no, I don't believe Bob Chapek was that. I do not believe that was Bob Chapek's intention. All right. Let's be very clear about that. Bob Chapek did not intentionally try to undermine and belittle um, his own stars and directors and movie by calling it an interesting experiment. Clearly, he was referring exclusively to the new 45-day theatrical window. That is what he meant, okay? That is what he meant. But Rob, when you're in a position like Bob Chapek these type of verbal blunders are not the things we ever saw Bob (laughs) Iger do. Bob Iger was always very, very careful and understood perception and understood because listen, if Bob Iger had been doing that call, when somebody asked him about, you know, are you going to make Shang-Chi a Disney plus premium release? He would have said this. Bob Iger, the master communicator, would have said, we are so excited for Shang-Chi. We have assembled a tremendous... You go back and look at any of Bob Iger's other statements that have come out about movies. This is exactly what Iger would have said. We are so excited about Shang-Chi. We have gathered the greatest talent. We are so excited in an absolutely explosive on-screen talent like Simu Lu and our director and our screenwriters. We believe this is going to be a cultural touchstone film and we couldn't be more proud of this movie. And entering into an experiment of the 45-day window and blah, See, it comes across very differently. Because, Rob, if you're a filmmaker, whether you're a writer, the director, the, the cinematographers, the actors, whatever, and you committed months of your life, in some of their cases, years of their life, day in, day out, painstakingly, blood, sweat, and tears, pouring every bit and ounce of passion and energy you have into a project. And then when your movie gets brought up in an investor call, the most the new CEO can say is, uh, the movie's going to be an interesting little experiment for us. It's like, what the hell is that? What the hell is that? And, and again, to me, it just shows again the inability of Bob Chapek to truly wear the captain's hat. To be the guy, I mean, look, maybe that's too harsh. Maybe that's too harsh. Maybe maybe a a, a more gentle way to say it is he clearly has a lot to learn from Bob Iger because Simu Lu and the other creators of Shang-Chi are sitting there saying, look, this is an opportunity. You're going to be quoted by media all over the world. What are you going to say about our movie? That's coming out in a couple of weeks. It's going to be an interesting experiment with our 45 day window. Really? That's what you have to say about it. Cause whenever Iger talked about any of their movies, it was, it's going to be fireworks. It's going to be sex parties in your mouth. It's going to be like, you know, the heavenly angels came down and scrubbed your bum with gentle toothpaste. I don't know what that means. I'm just, I got words coming out of my mouth. But Bob Iger knows how to sell a movie, whatever. And Bob Chapek, and I'm sorry, I get it. Listen, I fully agree that Bob Chapek did not, was not intentionally trying to undermine or undersell Shang-Chi. He wasn't trying to insult it. He wasn't saying the movie itself was an interesting little experiment. I, I understand he wasn't saying that. But when you are the leader of Disney, you've got to understand that your words matter. How you are perceived matters. Your filmmakers, the people who work for you, are listening. And when you have an opportunity in a platform like that, and all you can say about it where Bob Iger would have been coming out and shooting off fireworks in the sky, all you can say is, yeah, this is going to be an interesting experiment. I don't know. It just shows again... Was this a vile, underhanded attack on Shang-Chi by Bob Chapek? No, it wasn't. But does it show once again that this dude's kind of clueless? It kind of does, because when the star of your movie is saying, like, listen, I just feel like that was a backhanded slight on us. Instead of selling our movie, instead of popping our movie, instead of telling the world about how excited you are for our movie, all you can say it's an interesting experiment for a 45-day window. We're not an experiment. We're more than that. And I think that's what they took personally. And should they have taken it that personally? Maybe yes, maybe no. But again, it just highlights, Rob, I've said it before, I'll say it again. When you are in the position that Bob Chapek is in, you are trying to fill the shoes of big Papa Iger you have got to be more cognizant of the fucking words you are using. You have got to be more cognizant that you aren't just speaking out of your ass. You're speaking as the CEO of Disney and what you say is going to have ramifications. You got to be aware of how your words are going to be perceived. So I believe this was a brain fart blunder, I'm, not evil, underhanded, stupid decision. It was just a brain fart. I think this was a brain fart on Bob Chapek's uh. uh a spot hopefully this will be a learning experience for him he'll understand shit I re- but rob when you we start looking around It everything everything seems to be pr nightmare after pr nightmare after pr nightmare right now and this was just a simple easily avoidable thing anyway rob you saw this what's your take on it
1: well first of all <laughs> this is also an important film culturally yes uh, the same way that black panther was an important film culturally for disney and whenever you're dealing with with that, you have to be mindful. What I really liked about Simu Liu's, um tweet, he says, we are not an experiment. You know, we are the underdog, the underestimated. We are the ceiling breakers. We are the celebration of culture and joy that will persevere after an embattled year. We are the surprise. I'm fired the F up to make history. Join us. I think his response was actually quite a good one in the sense that, I'm sure Bob Chapek thinking he's on an earnings call. uh, Earners, I mean, uh, shareholders want to hear things without hyperbole. However, I think that anyone knows when talent, people really care about the work they do. They're very sensitive about the work they do. And whenever you've made a movie, anyone who's made a movie knows you're dealing with people. They're not egotistical, but they're proud of their work. And they need to know their work, that you appreciate their work. Otherwise... It's very frustrating when you're working with people that don't acknowledge when you things and there's not there's there's no reason not to always praise people's work. It it goes a long way and costs you nothing. So I think that Bob uh, Bob Chapek might have led and talked about and said, listen, we're really proud of this movie and we're proud that it is a ceiling breaking movie and that it represents a real leap forward for culture and Disney. And uh, we've never done anything quite like this. Give give them some praise. And then he was actually, as an experiment, I get it. He was talking about a theatrical window, 45 days. They're not putting it out on Disney Plus as a premium. So from a from a business standpoint, from where he was coming from, and I'm sure the way he was thinking about it when he was on the earnings call, he's thinking, okay, I'm speaking to shareholders and investors, and they want to know what this all means. And like you said, he was talking specifically in business terms. But no. These Disney shareholder calls are being reported I- everywhere. You know, why, why not always lead with how proud and excited you are with this new film? Why not just say that? Praise the cast, the crew. Say everything about it. And then you say, and that said, you know, uh, we're, we're during a pandemic. We're, we're going all in on a theatrical release and, and celebrate the movie. I mean, when you call it an experiment and you don't lead with that, Bob Iger would never do that. Bob Iger understands talent relations. He understands how far a few nice words go. And on an earnings call like this, why not throw in a few great words about your product before you talk about it being an experiment? This is talent relations and filmmaking 101. And like you said, John, this is, a, this is not a rookie mistake. This is a big mistake. And that guy's running Disney. And you know, how many of these cumulative little faux pas are going to happen? Uh, I, it's not good. It's not good. And what I what it, it gives me pause, like, shouldn't somebody running a major motion picture studio that has a global reach know these things? You have an advisor that says, okay, on this earnings call, you might want to lead with these things. Here are your talking points. Yeah. Just like you don't ask whoever made that statement about Scarlett Johansson. Somebody should have said, yo, that's not the way to lead Lead with these comments. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, I mean, well, this is not rocket science.
0: You pointed something out, Rob, that I think is key here. Bob Iger was tremendous at talent relations. Because here's the difference. Like, I've been at some of these premieres where Bob Iger's in the room, and everybody wants to gravitate to him. The stars of the movies, the directors, the producers, they all want to gravitate to Bob Iger. Because I'll tell you what, what Bob Iger did, was he made his creators feel valued. Under Bob Iger, everybody, it was all hand-holding and kumbaya and campfires and, you know, circle jerks and whatever. Everybody was happy. Everybody was thrilled to be a part of the family because there was this overarching sense that the guy in charge valued their creators. They valued and it stole the creations and the creators, and they all felt like they mattered and they were important. Clearly, the talent at Disney now no longer feels that way with lawsuits and public social media postings and all this kind of stuff. That is no longer. And, Rob, we talked about that article that came out of The rap as well that talked about the general underlying feeling even a lot of people in Disney now they, just the general feeling that Bob Chapek does not care about the creation process. They do not care about these folks who used to be the 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 ones steering the ship as far as creation and their content goes. He just sees them as commodities now. And these are things that I again I, I say this wholeheartedly, Rob. I really hope Bob Chapek looks at what just happened now with Simu Lu and doesn't get his back up, but instead goes, okay. This is a learning experience for me. This is a clear, big example of how I can get better at doing this job, and and move forward. Because man, so far to me, it's been blunder after blunder, and I, I really hope he. And listen, let's not well, pretend. That, let's not pretend, Rob, that this is an easy job. The CEO no. of Disney is not an easy job, and to make it worse, he's trying to fill the shoes of one of the greatest executives of all time in Bob Iger. That's not easy either. So we'll give him that.
1: Um, I also wanted to point out they announced, of course, that they're making a deal with Emma Stone to star in another Cruella movie. And they are specifically addressing back end issues and and day and date releases and things like that. You know, and I think they put that news out to sort of mitigate what was going on with with um, Scarlett Johansson, which I also thought was kind of a blunder of a move. You know, it's kind of a transparent. Oh, see, we're trying harder. We're doing this and. It's like you know what you shouldn't run your business that way, um, and I I that that kind of of negotiating in the public sphere, I mean maybe that could work for some people, beneath what Disney should be doing, and uh, you know we just you just need people that Bob Cha- Bob Chapek did not grow up around talent the way Bob Iger did, and Bob Iger saw how to manage talent, and that's part of the reason he was as well liked as he was. I mean, did you ever see Bob Iger without a smile on his face, wherever he was Never. out in public, where he got his picture taken. I mean, Never. that I mean, he had a perfect smile, you know, and, and <laughs> you're, you're, you look at that guy and you're just like, I, I look at that dude and you know, and, you know, he and I used to play squash. I always wanted to be him, even though he would beat me all the time. <laughs> so, you know, what a guy, he could beat you on the squash court. By the way, that's all a joke. It's a runner joke we have, but uh, this is something people learn. And this is people who work in the entertainment business. The real successful will know how to manage talent. Yeah. And it, by is the way- a, it is it is a skill.
0: That uh, Emma Stone situation, I was reading in Hollywood that Emma Stone's management is using the Scarlett Johansson lawsuit, use that lawsuit as leverage to get uh, better stuff for Emma Stone as out of it. Well, its own. they should. Good on you, Emma. Good on you. By the way, our friend uh, uh, Pokehon sends in a super chat badge in live chat. Thank you, Pokehon. Anyway, guys, listen, uh, again, just to reemphasize again, just so there's no misunderstanding, was Bob Chapek, the new CEO of Disney, trying to undermine and disrespect Shang-Chi. Obviously, that was not his intention. That was not his intention. This was a mistake, but it's another one in a long growing list of mistakes. And here's really hoping that he learns from this and understands that if you're going to be the CEO of Disney, you've got to be aware of how you're communicating because now your talent doesn't like you. Your talent and your creators don't like you the way they adored and idolized Bob Iger. And here's hoping Bob Chapek can take this, learn from it, grow from it, and become a better CEO. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this whole situation? It's getting kind of messy over there. What are your thoughts? Jump down into the comment section below and leave us your thoughts there. And by the way, Stephan uh, Dillon Wouters sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you for that, man. I appreciate uh, that very much. All right. With that all down, guys. Let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions, shall we? How do you send in a comment or question to be read in this part of the show? It's easy. Just go down to the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. Click on it there manually, or you could enter it in manually simply at www.streamlements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. Obviously, we don't guarantee you'll read your comment depending on what you write. But you'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. And, of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And all of us here at the John Campus Show, thank you guys so much for that support. And, by the way, Dino Vader also sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Dino. Appreciate that. All right, guys. Listen, I'm going to let you guys know. Oh, my God, Rob. The number of, of comments and questions that got sent in this weekend like over the weekend, was record-setting. We have a lot. We have a lot to get through. So just so you guys know, we're going to do the show. We're going to get through as many of these comments and questions as we can. And then I'm going to get ready to go to the see uh, Shang-Chi tonight. And a little bit later this evening, your own Robert Meyer Burnett is going to be doing a big companion video to get us all caught up on these questions. So if you sent them in and you don't see it answered in today's show, it'll be answered a little bit later in that companion video. Okay, just to give you guys a heads-up on that. All right that down let's get into it shall we and we're gonna get things started off here with death by snoo snoo uh who writes um this sounds like somebody who watches genie anyway next up every so often a piece of media comes out that makes me say out loud to myself you're an adult why is this so distracting in the what if episode all i could think of is steve stop she will break you i forget what the episode was about okay yeah because I'll say, listen, I, didn't, I did not love the What If episode with Captain Carter, even though I'm a huge Agent Carter fan. I didn't like the episode. But one of the things I liked that they did, uh, Rob, I don't know if you've had a chance to see it yet. I have. But one of the things that they did was they didn't just have her come out of the chamber looking a little bit more toned. They did to her what they did to Steve. Steve grew a bunch of inches, everything about him, Because when she stepped out of the chamber, woo, she looked like a machine. Like she looked huge. And you're right. Then seeing that with little Steve, it's like, man, she will break him. (laughs) She will absolutely break him. But I like that they did that design-wise because that's exactly what happened to Steve when he was in there. So that should be what happened to her as well. So what what was your general thought on uh, what if, Rob?
1: Well, I mean, I was a huge fan of the comics growing up. I loved What If, even though a lot of them ended with the end of the universe. But I I really enjoyed it and the the um the I liked the first episode. You know, what if it, it did what it's supposed to do, you know, what if something in the Marvel universe went differently than we know. And I I enjoyed it although it was a little I was surprised they basically just replayed Captain America with Uh, captain carter in the role yeah i agree and I, i wish that they did more with the story like did i like i liked seeing steve rogers flying the hydra smasher i thought that was pretty cool hydra stomper pardon me and i know that you know hot toys has announced they might do a toy of that very exciting but i wanted i wanted something a little bit more clever in terms of where they took the story um, it would have been it would have been more interesting to see rather than just a re- rehash or a replay that they did th- all
0: right next up We got uh, Alejandro who writes Titans season three is out. I sense you don't like it Uh, thoughts. I thought season two improved noticeably in the writing. The Batman casting does seem horrendous to me, too old, not, not tough, like a Roger Moore, James Bond, but I saw improvement. Will you watch it? Nope. I'm done with Titans. I, I watched season one. It's not very good in my opinion. I mean, I know for some of you guys, you liked it and that's awesome. I celebrate that. But for me, it just was a show that didn't work. So uh, I tapped out on it after season one. So I have no intention of watching season three. But I'm I'm super excited for those of you who are fans of Titans that you guys now have season three to watch. All right. And by the way, Dragon10 sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Dragon10. Appreciate that, man. Okay. Next up, we got Major Tom who writes, Hey, John, as someone who has had COVID at the beginning of the year and then been vaccinated, uh, VOD has been a godsend for me. HBO Max and Amazon Prime have been necessary for me. I currently live in a hot spot for COVID, so I don't feel comfortable going back to the movie theaters while people are acting like COVID's not a thing. Uh, with the Delta variant making its round, I'm even less inclined to go out because I don't want the virus again, but I will risk going to the theaters for Dune. <laughs> it's funny how many people I hear saying that. Listen, I, as, as somebody who is vaccinated, I, and I look at the numbers, by the way, let me just bring this up quickly. As I look at the numbers of uh, of what's going on here, let me just bring up this, this study I found. So basically, as we're looking at numbers of, out of all the most recent COVID cases in the past month, how many of those people got it who aren't vaccinated and how many people got it who are vaccinated? I mean, if you look at California, 98.6% of the new COVID cases are amongst people who haven't been vaccinated. And only 1.4% of the people are the ones who are vaccinated. Guys, it's, it's, this isn't rocket science. This isn't rocket science. Um, I mean, the, the numbers are there. So while it doesn't, obviously, 1.4% is not zero. It's not zero. So you can still get it if you're vaccinated. It is possible you can still get it if you're vaccinated and then transmit it to other people. But the likelihood is much smaller. It's insanely smaller. So I personally do feel comfortable going out and about as a vaccinated person, but I don't blame anybody at all when you look at what's going on in the world. And the fact that these numbers aren't zero... I don't blame anybody that says they don't really feel comfortable, even if they're vaccinated, going out into something like that. I totally, I get that. I do. I, I mean, I I don't mind it myself, but I totally understand where you're coming from as well, and I respect that. Uh, but the thing is, under normal circumstances, you can just wait a couple of months and it'll come out on home video anyway, Right. Maybe you can't watch it right now. If we were under the normal model, maybe you couldn't watch those movies right now, but you'll still be able to watch them on home video in a couple of months. So it's not like it's either one or the other. It can be a both end. You get your theatrical exclusive window and then it'll come out on home video when everybody can watch it, uh, where you can watch it there at home if that's how you choose. So anyway, that's just kind of how I look at that. But that's just that's just my take. All right. Uh, Thanks for writing that in, Major Tom. And, uh, yeah, I've been hearing from a lot of people, Rob, that, oh, yeah, man, dude, I don't even go to the grocery store. Yeah, but I'm going to the movies to see Dune. (laughs) I'm I'm hearing that from a lot of people, that Dune seems to be uh, that tidebreaker. It seems to be the tidebreaker for a lot of people. All right, next up, uh, we've got uh, Anthony who writes. I couldn't help myself when watching What If with Peggy Carter. That's a whole lot of woman for Skinny Steve. Gotta put your big boy pants on for that, right, Steve? Yeah. Again, like somebody said, man, she's gonna break him. But again, but i like that they did that design choice because it made sense. Alright, Dylan writes, Sup, John? Uh, it was actually really nice seeing Harley being a badass in Suicide Squad. I agree. Uh, it made you realize why she was chosen to be there. I remember watching the first movie and wondering the whole time why the hell would they bring uh, the clown with a bat? Well, You know, Rob, I was talking about this the other day because somebody else brought up the Harley Quinn thing, right? And it's like, well, when you watch certain iterations of Harley Quinn, they've been introducing new aspects to her backstory. Like if you watch the animated show, you find out that she, from a young age, was an Olympic level gymnast. When she was a kid, that was her original aspiration. And then she turned that into martial arts as well and blah, blah. So they've been introducing new new things to her background to establish why she is the way she is now. But this isn't new amongst comic books. We forget, Rob, that Harley Quinn, compared to all the classic comic book characters, is an infant. Harley Quinn has not been around all that long. And when even you go back to Superman... They have, over the years, changed things in his backstory to get us to where we are now. Rob, when int- Superman was introduced, he didn't fly. He used to jump over buildings in a single bound, but he didn't actually used to fly. They, in- I mean, Lex Luthor's original motivation for hating Superman was because he blamed Superman for his hair loss. I wish I was joking. I'm not. So they have, <laughs> over time, all these comic book characters get things in their backstories changed to update where they want their character to be now. So we're seeing that being done with Harley Quinn. Anyway, Rob, can you think of any other examples? I mean, you know a lot more about comic book lore and history than I do, about characters that have had parts of their background changed as time went on.
1: Well, there's been, I mean, Superman himself, you know, I mean, Superman didn't use, he could only leap tall buildings at a single bound. Right. And and there there was all kinds of things they've changed over the years. I mean, I, I nothing specific is coming to mind. But the characters' backstories have always changed and evolved, especially characters like Batman and Superman. I mean, they've added family members, you know, they've added Crypto, the super dog, and, and they've done all kinds of, of things to the character. This idea that there's one definitive backstory, they've always been evolving. And that's why what I really like is when we do see the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the DC, what do you call it, extended universe, that they've come up with their own. It's kind of an amalgamation of all the different parts and and origins of the character over the years. And they created sort of definitive backstories for them in the medium they're in. So the Marvel Cinematic Universe is not entirely accurate to the comic universe, but nor should it be. And I, I like when they do that. I like like with with Harley Quinn defining more of her backstory because she does things in the Suicide Squad in the movie where you're like, okay, well, how did she learn how to do all of that? You know, she's, she has certain physical attributes and abilities. You're like, well, wait a minute, where did that come from? And I think it's cool when they do that, and I think it's important. And uh, it makes it more enjoyable from a viewing standpoint. You can be like, oh, that that's the deal. But I know a lot of comic purists are like, well, that's not how it happened, Rob, in the comics. And I'm like, yeah, but what? how far back do you want to go? How do you want to define this canonistic background for a character? And I like the fact that they animated series version the comic version the mcu versions they all have their own definitive backstories i think it's a good thing for all of us
0: all right next up we've got ted who writes one of two john i feel like you have an actual disdain for people that choose to watch a movie at home rather than theaters no no no. i have a disdain for the choice just like if you put ketchup on your eggs i have an extreme disdain for your choice But I don't have disdain for you. You have the right to do that if you want. Anyway, uh, HBO gave me the option to watch their movie on my couch. So I watched it without feeling bad at all for not buying a movie ticket. I get that this model is not good for movies. Well, I'm I'm glad you get that. (laughs) It's not good for movies. But I live in a very rural country, and my closest theater is, holy shit, is 90 miles away I will almost always choose the convenience of my home watching if I can. So please, WB and Disney, take the decision out of my hands. Well, listen, two things, Ted. First up, I don't have disdain for people that choose to sit on their asses and watch their movies at home like they do every single day with every other thing that they do. I just have a disdain for the choice, just like I have a disdain for choice for putting ketchup on eggs. Doesn't mean I have disdain for you as an individual, not at all. But listen, there are definitely people and circumstances like, dude, if I were you... And my closest movie theater was 90 miles away. I mean, yeah, there are still some movies I'd make that drive for. Hell, I drove across the country. I drove 2000 miles so I could watch Star Wars, The Phantom Menace on my favorite in my favorite movie theater when it opened. So, yes, there are some movies I would make that drive for. But, dude, it's not a lot of them. If I live ninety miles away from a movie theater like you do, move the fuck over. I'm sitting on that couch next to you, for most movies. And there are people with with uh, physical issues as well. Like, listen, they can't get out. Oh, that's a totally understandable. I get apps a hundred percent, absolutely, one hundred percent, absolutely. With everything, there are always mitigating circumstances. Completely. Um, again, I, like you acknowledge though, this whole thing is not good for the movie industry. It's just not good. And I'm glad you acknowledge that. So I I just think what they should do is like, listen, just get the theatrical window and then let everybody watch it at home. Like they always have. It's got an exclusive theatrical window. Then when that window is done, it goes on home video. So everybody at home can watch it if they want to watch it at home then. So, but yeah, if the option is available to you. And you live 90 miles from a movie theater? Like I said, make room. You and I will we'll order some pizza, we'll get Uber Eats, and we'll sit in and watch it at home, because I'm not driving 90 miles. 180-mile round trip to watch most movies? Suicide Squad, I would. Dune, I would. But most of them, I wouldn't. So I totally feel you, Ted. I totally feel you. All right, next up. Sebastian Gomez writes, I'm in love with The Suicide Squad. The more I think of it, the more it's becoming one of my favorite movies of all time. I think it has something to do with my dad going through some burdens. Oh, yeah. Some burdens, as Ratcatcher would say, and it's taken a huge toll on me. I saw the movie at the peak of what uh, at what have been some of the toughest weeks of my life. The movie just came out just when I needed it most. Uh, are there any movies that came out at the moment when you needed them in life? I think you mentioned Clerks too. I did, as a matter of fact. And by the way, I... I by the way, Sebastian, I love your message. I love your message. First of all, that moment in Suicide Squad is so tender and so special when she refers to, like, her dad had a massive drug addiction. and But he still loved his daughter, and she referred to it as his burden. And I thought there was something very special about that. But I love what you just said because it really emphasizes that All these movies can speak to us differently depending on where we're at and where we come from in life, right? So for you, that was a totally special moment for you that really drove home. And that's one of the magic things about the movies that I I completely agree with you on. But yes, Rob, for me, for me, the movie that really spoke to me when I needed it most, and I've talked about it here before, was Clerks 2. Because I was living in another city that I had really built some roots in. I had a great family and friends structure at in this one city that i was living in and i had a job opportunity that would move me away from them Mm. and i was struggling with the decision and then i saw clerks two in the midst of that where the main character well one of the two main characters was deciding he was gonna move away for job and move him away from his friends and the life that he had and move him away. And, and how do you balance that out? And that's why, for me, Clerks 2 isn't just a good raunchy comedy. It's actually a very special movie to me. Have you ever had a movie like that, Rob, that it was just a movie that may be great or whatever, but it just it had a special place for you because it spoke to you at a very specific time in your life?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, Inception was that movie for me. And uh, I had gone through a breakup that I would have preferred not to have broken up. And uh, a <laughs> relationship break. I went Inception nine times in the theater. I thought it was eight, but it's actually nine times. And it, you know, Dom's, he was locked in this cycle about his wife, you know, his dead wife that he, he couldn't, couldn't get away from her. She was haunting him and, I th- I see that a lot of that movie was about him getting over that relationship when she took her own life, and I like that movie really spoke to me. I kept going to see it. I kept going to see it, and and once when I saw it, I was actually at the theater. I was at the ArcLight, and the person that I broke up with was there with her new paramour, mm. and I was sitting at the bar by myself. You know, I kept going to the movie by myself, and they walked up and were right to me. I'm like. This is great. It wasn't. But mm. then I went and saw the movie again. and felt a little better.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, they can be so special, man. They can be so special. All right. Next up, we got Black Forest uh, who writes, I love the Suicide Squad, but I have to say that I love Free Guy more. Even the WTF moments seem to, to have roused the audience more. I'm surprised the spoilers have been able to, to, to be kept so quiet. Yeah, I... I don't know which one I prefer. I don't I'm not 100 percent sure if I prefer Free Guy or Suicide Squad. I love them both. But and they are two very different movies. But yeah, man, Free Guy was so delightful. And there are some big spoilers that are just delightful uh, in the movie that really come out of nowhere. Uh, just a great. Fun again, no Oscar winner here. It's just a fun, delightful time at the movies, and I hope you guys, uh I hope you guys get a chance to see it because it is really, really special. All right, next up, Black Forest also writes for the people who are concerned about ratings and the quality of a movie. Free Guy is a masterclass on how to get the most out of a PG rating. Bring on the filthy. Yeah, I'm not sure that it's PG. I think it was PG-13. I think it was PG-13. I could be. Guys in the live chat, do you know for sure? But I'm, I'm. I'm pretty sure it was PG-13, but I'm not 100% sure. If you guys can fire that into the live chat, that would be uh, good to see. But yes, you can get away with a lot. Sapphire is saying it is PG-13. So is Jay Williams, and so is Diane. So it was PG-13. But yes, you can get away with a lot in a PG-13 film. Even though this isn't the edgiest PG-13 film, but you can get away with a lot. All right, next up. Uh, Funky Buddha writes, I love that name, writes, hey John, good Canadian kid here. Cineplex just released their monthly subscription, $9.99, one free movie per month, $9.99 for tickets and your guests anytime. 20% off concessions, what do you think? Will it get people back to the theaters? So Rob, this was brought up the other day, and I kind of addressed this on a companion video yesterday. So Cineplex, the movie theater chain in Canada, um, that has honestly not done much for their customers in the last number of years, but they finally got on board with a monthly subscription plan on their own. Now it's not as good as AMC A List or Regal Unlimited, but for nine ninety nine for so ten bucks, you get one movie ticket per month, plus you get other movie tickets for the rest of the month at discounted rates, plus discounts on your concessions. Now is this as good as AMC A List? No. But if you're my argument, Rob has been: if you are a movie goer and you go two to three times a month, you're saving money. You're, if you go to like heavens, and the more movies you go to a month, the more money you're saving. Like if you go to three or four movies a month, you could be saving $20, 30 bucks a month, just by going. That's like a couple hundred bucks every year that you're saving going to these things. So as good as a list, no, but it's good. It's still something a step in the right direction. What do you think about it?
1: Well, look, any time that they're doing this you know, they want to bring people back to the movies. And I think that these kinds of plans and this kind of innovation and trying new and different things is exactly what the business is, is going to need. Yeah, Because it's still ailing, you know, we're still in a, I mean, I'm hearing more talk than ever about, well, you just let movie theaters go. And I'm like, what? I will, I will never believe that it's, it's, you know, it, movie movies as a vibrant art form are best when they're viewed collectively with other people in a theater with great sound and great projection. And I think we would lose something. Just like, you know, it's still great to go hear a live concert performance by a great classical orchestra and hear it live rather than on recording. You know, I don't lose that. And when they do these kinds of things, they get more people to come back to the theater. I think it's great.
0: All right, next up. We got Jack Lumbers who writes, as for the limited show times, ever since Regal shut down, AMC have been operating a limited show time on the weekdays, only having show times after 4 p.m. To be fair, the early weekdays wasn't making much money, if any money, and it makes sense for them to cut them. Well, okay, but here's my point, Jack Lumbers, When we are talking about the moves that AMC had been making recently, is that right now, these movie theaters, like Rob, you were just saying with Cinemark or Cineplex you have to go into getting people back into the theaters mode. And I believe that also means making it as convenient as possible for people to come back. Look, if you want to reduce your show times later, I'm fine with that. But for now, you have to be bending over backwards to get people not just coming back into the theaters, but getting back into the habit of going back to the theaters. And you don't encourage that by reducing the amount of showtime options that the audience has, increasing the price of the tickets, and increasing the price of the concession stands. That is not how you get people and entice them to get back into the habit of coming into the theaters. So later, maybe, I can understand that. Right now, it just seems like a damn... Uh, it just seems like a damn stupid move, but uh, that's just me. All right, next up. Uh, Jack Lumber's writes, If you recall, when AMC first reopened, they were at reduced prices in order for business to be profitable. They cannot continue with those prices. Also, inflation is between 2 to 4% per year, and I believe prices did not increase the last year. 5% is hardly anything. That is a complete misnomer. Here's the thing. You're talking as if prices on movies have been frozen for five to six years. They have not. We have seen regular price increases on movie tickets to the point, And I say this as a big advocate of the movie theater industry p- costs are already too high. It already costs too much to go. Like for me, it's still worth it because if I go out to a bar with a buddy, you're dropping 30 or $40 in drinks for the night and you're not getting a great movie out of it. Um, so, so to me, it, it's still worth it, but, there's a systemic problem in Hollywood where studios gouge more and more money from the theaters, and the theaters respond by increasing prices more and more and more. And because the prices increase, fewer people go to the movies that year. And since fewer people left, the th- the studios and the theaters decide they got to re-up the prices even more to compensate for the lack, and it becomes this deadly cycle. This whole thing of, hey, it's only 5%. It's only 5%. Yeah, but they've been doing it. You look at the average national-wide ticket price difference between 10, not 100 years ago, 10 years ago and today. It's something they have to address. It it is a bigger problem than some people are making it out to be. Okay. Uh, Next up. Uh, Where are we at? Vampire Princess writes... One of two. Greetings, John Campia, long-time listener. Thank you so much, Vampire Pris- Princess. On the subject of comic book creators getting paid or receiving special treatment from big studios for their work on a project, which gets turned into a big film, I know Marvel was the subject in question. Uh, Does the same apply to DC? Yes. Uh, Bob Kane certainly got rich and famous and welcomed into premieres as the co-creator of Batman. Or was that a different time for a different situation? Thanks. Well, Rob, the thing is about that, that even Marvel, there were exceptions over at Marvel. There were some creators at Marvel that got better deals and got more recognition and got more money. And certainly the truth is over at DC as well. But yes, it is an issue with DC. I think, Rob, the only reason the article didn't make as big of a deal out of it is well, I mean, not not to start a fight, but DC movies haven't been as successful as Marvel movies. And I think that's probably why they didn't make as big of a deal with it. But what would you say, Rob? Do you think that stuff we were talking about the other day applies equally to DC creators as well as Marvel
1: ones? Well, I mean, yes, I, I, I think, look, when you're making films, obviously uh, every every film is its own business, you know, and you have to think of it as you're building something from the ground up now. I think the problem with the DC movies is they have been trying to play catch up or, or the studio has wanted obviously the same success as Marvel studios, but they never were willing to do what Marvel studios did to get that success, which was have long-term plans and, and slowly build. I mean, they wanted to get Avengers money right away. And I understand that. I understand that impulse, but at the end of the day, you still have to make great movies with great characters and great stories. And I think that DC has shown, I think, their biggest success. They've got Joker. They've got Aquaman. And the first Wonder Woman, I think, are their biggest. And and Batman v Superman actually did make close to $900 million. All of those movies, though, work kind of on their own. They don't work like Marvel movies at all. And so I think that's kind of an – I mean – Batman was trying to build something up, but but really Wonder Woman 1 exists pretty much on its own. Aquaman certainly we met we met Aquaman briefly, but Aquaman works on his own. And the Joker was its own unique thing. So I think that they should have, DC should have started rather than try and build a cinematic universe, began on their own, but they were they wanted to emulate what was going on at Marvel. And I understand that from a movie, from a money standpoint, but that's not what their strength has been. It's Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. That was uniquely Christopher Nolan's. That wasn't that wasn't beholden to any outside or cinematic universe. The Joker, you know, Todd Phillips, he made his own deal. James Wan's Aquaman without Jason Momoa, I mean obviously he Jason Momoa worked on its own beautifully because you're getting and and suicide squad james gunn is reinventing something you're getting filmmakers visions which is very different than what marvel's doing so i think they should have embraced that from the beginning rather than go after this cinematic universe which is different
0: right all right next up um where are we at here we're at brendan sheehy who writes one of two hey john now that the multiverse has officially begun in the MCU, do you think any of the characters going forward will make use of the fully functional time machine at their past, uh, at their past, while also seemingly allowing them to travel to any place in the galaxy in the alternate timeline? Uh, the thought of mixing the time machine uh, contrivance of Endgame with the multiverse consequences of Loki actually makes my head hurt. Yeah, I think. On- Rob, look, Rob. You know, I say this, and this is unpopular, but I really think Marvel needs to move away from this whole time travel multiverse nonsense fairly quickly. Um, I still think, and I have no proof of this, this is just me speculating, let's be clear, this is only me speculating, I have nothing to back this up with, it's just a guess. I still think that Doctor Strange 2 Multiverse of Madness is going to be the climax of all the multiverse stuff. And I think they're going to wrap up the multiverse. I think they're going to, I think, and again, this is just me guessing. It's just a guess. I'm guessing they're going to say all this destruction and chaos and everything that was going to happen as a result of the multiverse, as they kind of explained it in Loki, I think is going to become extremely problematic and Doctor Strange has to to finish it. He's got to finish it. And then I think they're going to move on because, Rob, you, you, you and I have talked about that both DC and Marvel at times in the comics have realized that, the multiverse multiple earths all that kind of stuff eventually got so convoluted it made it difficult for storytelling and they created these big events to bring them back down into one main storyline so i don't know how do you think they're going to progress with this
1: oh boy well look i mean obviously they're bringing in kang and and kang was an iteration of kang but there, it looks like their multiverse is going to go through multiple storylines, and they are doing a Secret Wars show, I guess. And I, look, I think that it'll culminate in the next Avengers movie. My theory oh, okay. is that it's going to go. They're going There was a great, I liked it. Um, the same guy, Kurt Busiek, who wrote Kingdom Come for DC, wrote Avengers Forever, which was a maxi series. I think it was 12 issues <clears throat> that dealt with Kang. And I think that could be where they close off, they tie off the multiverse story. Because I think the next movie, calling it Avengers Forever would be really cool. And they can bring in different iterations of the various characters, and they're kind of leading up to that anyway. And everyone's like, well, what's the next Avengers movie going to be? And I think Avengers Forever would be a great way to deal with that. And you you do a big blowout movie. Now, this is my own theory. I've I have nothing to base this on. But you've got Obviously, you've got Spider-Man Far From Home. I've heard that J. Jonah Jameson, or at least, you know, J.K. Simmons, is going to be in uh, the new Venom movie, which is interesting, along with Michael Keaton. And then you've got Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. You've, you've got all this stuff happening. And I think people are asking, well, what's the next Avengers movie going to be? Because those have obviously been the most lucrative in the entire MCU. So what a great way to tie it off, you know, all up to this that's what they're kind of doing it's, it's kind of like it's not like the Thanos story which ran over 22 films and then the third one or the 23rd film but I think leading up to another Avengers movie would be kind of cool you know and, and make it Avengers forever and they would have had it's not 23 films long but it's, it's more of a manageable length couple, couple years maybe the end of phase four ends with Avengers forever and they put the universe back and they get rid of that multiverse or they tie it all off again
0: yeah, I, I, that's, that's what a, I think. That's a great theory. That's a great theory. I, I I think it can be Doctor Strange too. but I like your theory about them doing an event. Again, to me, the whole multiverse thing and with time travel and everything, it just, it, it's lazy. To me, it's the ultimate form of laziness because like with time, tra- again, I've said this before, with time travel, there's no problem in any movie ever created that can't be fixed with time travel. <laughs> right. Whatever, you can, ca- The Godfather, oh, crap. They, they try to kill my dad. They, they shot my dad. Okay, I'll go back in time and stop them from shooting my dad. I mean, every, and then with multiverse, it takes away any consequences of anything. Oh, you don't like that? Uh, I don't know. You don't like that Tony died? Don't worry. We'll make five other movies in multiple universes with Tony still there. I mean, it, it literally takes away any consequences. You don't have to actually think out your stories. You don't have to think do any of that work because I'll just say it's a multiverse thing. And it. Yeah. I mean, I think there are some creative stories you can tell, but I think it's got to be limited. I think you got to limit it. So it's either got to come to, I think it's either got to come to an end in Doctor Strange or it's got to come to an end in in Avengers, which I think is also a really good idea. All right, next up, Uh, move on here. Uh, Eugene Reviews writes, hey, John, recently got out, uh, recently out of the blue, I got a Disney D23 gold year membership using my Disney Insider credit. I was wondering if you also have this. And is there any more perks to this other than D23 Expo? And will you be attending next September? Thanks. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what any of that is. Um, Obviously, I go to DC, D23. I really do like D23. Disney does a great job with D23. They do. But no, I am neither a D23 member or gold tier or an insider. So I, I've heard of all these things. I just don't know really what they are. I just know what they are. so I really can't a- address that myself. But hey man if if it gets you stuff that you enjoy and if it gets you actual, a priority pass to actually attend the next D23 and hell yes, I'll be at the next D23. Um, then that's a good thing, man. That's a good thing. Uh, and by the way, our friend, uh, Jordan sailor sends in uh, a big Canadian super chat badge. Thank you, Jordan, for supporting us on that level, man. Appreciate that. Good to see my Canadians representing in here. Thank you for that dude. All right. Uh, next up we've got, uh, Gary Johnson who writes, One of two. I've been watching your show for a while now, and sometimes I feel left out of the conversation whenever Star Wars is brought up. I've never seen, I've never seen not one of the films. So, two years ago, I watched the OG trilogy and honestly couldn't get into it. So, I never even bothered with any of the Star Wars movies, just figured it wasn't for me. But when that first season of Mandalorian came out, I figured, oh, what the hell, I'll give it a try. And I absolutely loved it. I'm so confused. Hmm. What do I new, do now, John? Well, listen, dude, uh, look, to me, Star Wars is life, all right? I feel like uh, one of the disco boys from, uh, from Mystery Men. Disco is life! Star Wars is life! But not everything is going to be for everybody. And listen, I mean, my whole life is revolved around Star Wars, but I don't love everything that's been involved in Star Wars. And so, just like me, you can love Mandalorian... And maybe you didn't like the original trilogy. While that sounds completely ludicrous and insane to me, that's the reality of things. It didn't quite work for you. And if that's the case, that's okay. There are things in Star Wars I like and things I don't. So just because you didn't like the original trilogy doesn't mean other things in Star Wars may not be for you. I don't like Clone Wars. But a bunch of people do. And if you check out Clone Wars, you may really love it. You know, I didn't like The Rise of Skywalker, but you may. Right? I loved The Force Awakens. Maybe you will too, maybe you won't. So, you know, the fact that you like just, not one thing is everything, right? Just because you like one comic book movie, that doesn't mean you have to love all comic book movies. Just because you saw a comic movie you didn't like, that doesn't mean you won't like any comic book movies. So explore the Star Wars universe, Gary, uh, and just take every single one that you watch as its own thing. Some you'll love, some you'll like, some you'll not like. And that's okay. That's the way it is. So I'm glad, but I'm glad you like Mandalorian nonetheless, brother. I'm glad you like Mandalorian nonetheless. All right. Uh, By the way, uh, Christian uh, Wagner also sends in a super chat badge. Sends in like a $20 super chat badge in the live chat there. Thank you, Christian. Appreciate that very much, man. Thank you for the support. Just says, thanks for being you. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. All right. Let's keep moving on here from Gary. And our next one up comes to us from Amir, who writes, one of five. I re The Godfather 1 and 2 last week. That's always a good use of your time, Rob. Yes, it is. Rewatching Godfather 1 and 2 is a great use of your time. Okay, I re Godfather 1 and 2 last week. Just absolutely amazing filmmaking. The world that Coppola created on screen was so rich, the characters so well-written. Both films are about three hours long, but they don't feel like they're too long. Exactly. Exactly. Even something like The Return uh, of the Kind, you probably meant Return of the King, which I love, begins to feel a little long towards the end for me, but that's not the case with Godfather 1 and 2. I easily could sit through the character arc of Michael Corleone uh, is so well-written and realized on screen, from his introduction as the young soft-spoken soldier to his slow evolution of the ruthless head of the family, perfectly acted by Al Pacino, the scene where Michael kisses Salazzo, oh my God, one of the most iconic scenes in cinematic history, It's all in the eyes and the sound of the oncoming train and the background and the heightening of the senses of anticipation. Just brilliant filmmaking. The intricate plot of part two takes it to another level. Uh, for me, Michael's arc is similar to that of Walter White in Breaking Bad. And what we see is a good man slowly changing into a monster. By the way, the creator of Breaking Bad often spoke about the influence of The Godfather on his storytelling. So that you're, you're absolutely seeing the right connection there. And what we see is a good man slowly changing into a monster. But the genius of The Godfather is that we see it happen to Michael over the course of one film, not multiple seasons of TV. Rob, listen. The thing about, I, I am still shocked by how many people I interact with that still have not seen the original two Godfather films. I I believe never in history have a part one and a part two of a film both won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. That's Godfather and Godfather 2. Rob, amongst a lot of cinephiles, the argument of the best film in history is often comes down to, is Godfather one, the greatest film of all time, or is Godfather two the greatest film of all time? I'm not saying I think either of them are the greatest film of all time, but that's how good these movies are. And it's Rob, one of my favorite things to do is watch the Godfather with somebody who's never seen it yet. Because when they do, you see their eyes light up and it's like, Oh, all of a sudden they recognize every movie they've ever watched was directly influenced by the godfather i mean you, you or at least many 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 of them right it's like oh my god that's where this theme came from that's where that line comes from that's where this comes from it is one of the most influential set of films ever made I, I i we could talk all day about the godfather rob but when you think about the godfather one and two what comes to your mind and how would you would you encourage people today they're older movies but would you encourage people today still watch them
1: Oh yeah. I mean, the the thing that uh, they're two they're my two favorite movies of all time. Gone and too. And I think that what people need to remember is yeah, they uh, are set in the 40s and early 50s and they don't have they the dynamics the 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 cinematography dynamics of something like a goodfellas or Scorsese's casino. But what I think is really important about the Godfather that people forget is that Coppola decided that he saw The Godfather mafia movie, even though it's set within that milieu, but he saw it as a classical story about a king and his three sons. And what does that mean, you know, when you're protector lord of the realm? And I think the reason that The Godfather is so revered is it works on so many different storytelling levels. Like, yeah, you could watch it as a mob movie if you want to, But you can also watch it. I mean, both movies are really about a good man who ends up having to step up and take responsibility. And in doing so, he thinks he's doing the right thing, but he loses his own soul. You know, he has to, he has to, he tries to live up to what his father did, but he's too smart. He's too calculating where his father had heart and he's too logical. And I think when you, when you watch the film, it's so rich from a storytelling standpoint and it, look, it's also a movie that presupposes a great deal of intelligence on the part of the audience. Yes. It expects you to rise up to its level. And I've heard a lot of people, you know, a lot of film goers that aren't used to, I mean, the, Godfather 1 came out 50, well, 49 years ago, and Godfather 2 came out in 74. So these are films that definitely are elegant, beautifully made, beautifully acted, peak verisimilitude. Uh And and they really are the way Shakespeare is considered some of the great literary works. I mean, these stories are very Shakespearean, but they're they're some of the finest cinematic stories ever told um, simply because of the level that the storytelling is is working at. Absolutely. Marvelous movies. I never, ever, ever get tired of watching The Godfather one and two.
0: I agree. I can, watch, I can watch them every month for the rest of my life and be totally happy. Yep. All right, next up, Twi- uh, Tom Weinberg writes, Personally, I like my Justice League to feel mythical in scale. Uh, the Zack Snyder Justice League did that for me. I'm not sure James Gunn would be right for that. That being said, I'm sure he'd make a killer Justice League movie just in his own style. Yeah, Every every filmmaker will bring their own style to something, right? But again, never assume that a filmmaker who hasn't done a certain style before can't do that style like if as as uh, kevin feige said a good storyteller is a good storyteller and i always like to point back to the russo brothers if if you took a movie like captain america the winter soldier and somebody said to you yeah the the tv sitcom guys and the guys who made you mean dupree they're the ones who'd made that movie you would never believe it you would never believe it Because it's not something they had ever done remotely close to that before. But good storytellers are good storytellers. And Mm -hmm. so I wouldn't put it by James Gunn being able to do it at all. But on the surface, does it look like that's his style? No, I agree with you. It, It doesn't. But don't count it short. Just remember, the you, me, and Dupree guys made Captain America the Winter Soldier. Never forget that. All right, thanks for writing that in, Tom. Next up. Cody Leach writes, uh, wanted to thank you for being an inspiration to start my own movie channel, which is nearing 60,000 subscribers. That's huge, dude. Well done. Uh, keep kicking ass, John. So American Werewolf is one of your favorite horror films. It's my number one all-time favorite horror film. But what is your favorite vampire movie? Lost Boys is mine. Probably Lost Boys. I, I, yeah, I've, I've talked about Lost Boys before, Rob. Um, that to me with uh, Kiefer Sutherland, and it's just... That's, I mean, that was one of my first vampire movies that I really watched anyway. But, um, yeah, I, I, I look, I don't have a full list of vampire movies off the top of my head right now. But I my first gut reaction is to say Lost Boys. What about you, Rob? What's your favorite vampire movie?
1: Well, right off the top, I, I have a lot. But I'll, right off the top of my head, I would say Catherine Bigelow's uh, Near Dark, which came out right. around the same time that Lost Boys came out. But I love Tony Scott's The Hunger. And I love other people might say it's a little cheesy, but one of my favorite vampire movies is a movie called Vampire Circus that Hammer put out. I mean it's it's a throwback. It's it it's classical storytelling at its finest, but I love Vampire Circus.
0: Oh, by the way, some people in the chat also put in another one that I would rank very high, Thirty Days of Night. Uh yep. with Go Ben to, Foster. And night. So, like yep, Fright night. Yeah, Fright Night. The original. Good one. And of course what we do in the shadows. So good. Shadows. All right, let's keep going here. Next up, uh, we've got Suthius who writes. Very bummed that friend of the John Campus show, Cody Miller, who is Minor Rob's co-host for Best Movie, Worst Movie, uh, did not qualify for Tokyo, was looking forward to see him swim for a medal. Uh, perhaps the next time he's in town, you could have him on as a guest again. And are you still planning on more Best Movie, Worst Movie? Thank you. Yes, we are going to do more Best Movie, Worst Movie. We, we mentioned before that, you know, we were going to wait until the Olympics were done. By the way. The way, I don't know if you guys know how this works. When Cody was telling me about how the Olympic trials work, I was shocked because, you know, Cody, and look, I'm biased because he's a friend of ours, Rob. I'm biased because he's a friend of ours. But Cody was telling, like, Cody was killing it all year. He was winning events. He was setting personal bests. He was just killing it all year. But like three weeks before, Rob, I don't know if you knew this. I didn't know this. Three weeks before um, before the Olympics, they have the Olympic trials where it doesn't matter what you've done all year. It didn't matter if you've proved all year that you're this. you have this one trials. You've got one race. And if for whatever reason you hiccup or you sneeze or you have you're off by one whatever in this one race, you're not in the Olympics. It's imagine this, imagine Michael Jordan, they're selecting, you know, an all-star team and it doesn't matter what Michael Jordan had done for all these years in this one game. And just Michael Jordan, that one day just happens to have one slightly off day and he doesn't get put on the all-star team. To me, that's kind of crazy, but it is what it is. It's the way it works. So yeah, Cody did not, uh, Cody wasn't on the Olympic team this year, which was crazy because he was like. Uh, it's just kind of insane to me but he wasn't but yes regarding best movie worst movie uh cody cody was actually in town about a month and a half ago and he came and stopped in at my place and we were talking about getting best movie worst movie back up and running again and rob will probably have to get moving on that probably in september sometime i think we'll get best movie worst movie the podcast uh going again because i really do i really do enjoy doing that with you and uh you and Cody. We have a really good time doing that together. All right. Let's get one more question in here while Rob is still with us. Suthius writes, Mr. Campia, you and I are in the same boat when it comes to a new to New Era Star Trek, Abrams and Discoveryverse. One of the things that I love about the recent movies is the main overture theme scored by Michael Giacchino. I hope to hear that overture in the next project. Yeah, listen, first of all, let me say this. I kind of compare the situation to like that of the the great John Williams Superman score compared to the new Superman score, the what are you gonna do when you're not saving the world part for, for Henry Cavill Superman? Like, look, nothing will ever replace the original Superman. I mean, that gets that gets the blood flowing, your heart pumping, your dick hard. That does, that music starts playing. You stand to attention. But... That's right. But that being said, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say, I love the Henry Cavill Superman theme. Oh, Uh, me too. I I get... I I listen to it at least once or twice a week when I'm in the shower. I just turn to my Google uh, device and I say, Hey, Google. Play, what are you going to do when you're not saving the world? By Hans Zimmer. And I'll listen to that. And it just gets me ready for the day, right? I got to say that, too, about the Star Trek themes is that, look, nothing re- just like the original Superman, nothing replaces that original Star Trek music, like nothing replaces it. But I got to say, Giacchino, I thought the score of the new Star Trek movies, like whatever you think about the movies themselves, I thought the score to it was pretty good, too. I, I really enjoy that score. You know, Rob, you and I disagree a lot about new Star Trek, but I I don't think you and I have, have ever specifically discussed like that. The themes and the music and the score for the new films. What did you think about them?
1: Well, you know, I do think uh there's a there's a piece of music off of uh the original Star Trek 09 score called Enterprising Young Men. That is a great piece of music. Mm. Uh I I and I've I enjoyed uh that. I think of of all the aspects of the new Star Trek movies. I mean, I enjoyed a lot of the casting. I just thought they were They were directed wrong, (laughs) but um, I like, I like the cast, but the music is Michael Giacchino's music is quite good.
0: Yeah. He's I was not I wasn't, I wasn't a huge fan of the, the, what he did for solo, a star Wars story. I wasn't the biggest fan for his music on that. Uh, Or no, it's not solo star story. I think it was rogue one. I think he did the music on rogue one. I wasn't super. I love rogue one. I got to admit I wasn't really big on that, but I I think you're right. He's very, very good. Michael Giacchino is very, very good.
1: I just want it to be known something nice about the jj abrams kelvin <laughs> star trek movies there you go just want to point that it's out now
0: on record hey Rob, stop
1: the presses
0: <laughs> uh listen i know we, we kept you over time again thanks a lot for being here of course you'll be back again tomorrow uh for tomorrow's show but in the meantime robert where can people follow you and all of your goodness online
1: You can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. I've noticed I've been getting a lot more followers probably from the show, so thank you. You can follow me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work.
0: All right, Rob, thanks a lot for being here. I'll talk to you tomorrow and keep getting ready for that Shang-Chi press screening on Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be so much fun. All right, thanks a lot, Rob. I'll talk to you tomorrow, brother. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the great... Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. All right, guys, listen, we still have a little bit of time here before I got to go and start getting myself all pretty for the uh, Shang-Chi premiere tonight. Let's keep on rolling here, though. We're going to pick things up here with Omar from the Bronx, who writes, Hey, John and Co., with every new movie that underperforms at the box office, you guys list all the reasons why it happened, but never touch on the truth. Uh-oh, do tell. What is the truth, Omar. The pandemic stripped us of the adhesion to the movie theater. Oh, I don't think that's true at all. Whenever a luxury is taken from you, you realize it is a luxury. Uh, People aren't going to the theater because they have lived without it. Uh, And the mental construct construct Uh, of going to the movies has been lost. Oh, I disagree with that in total. Uh, Hopefully movie theaters never die out, but but a watch-at-home model is here to stay. If they try to force people to get back into the theaters, they will fail. We are in a new world, and studios and movie houses must adjust. Here's the thing, Omar. That is factually incorrect. Because the viewing-at-home model has been, whether you like it or not, I'm not saying whether you should like it or not like it. You know I don't think you should like it, but... It doesn't matter whether I think you should like it or not. Here's the fact. The viewing-at-home model has been an abject failure. It's been an absolutely disastrous failure. Right? Every movie that Disney has put out on Disney Premium Plus has failed. Whether it's Mulan, they couldn't get anybody to to buy it. Ryan the Last Dragon, they couldn't get anybody to buy it. By the way, Ryan the Last Dragon is a really good movie. Cruella, they massively struggled to get anybody at home to buy it even black widow which they boasted it made 60 million and then it dropped like a rock and that 60 million only represented 2 million purchases for a brand new in a pandemic marvel cinematic universe movie and even it only managed 2 million purchases then you got jungle cruise which only managed half of that HBO has reported that time and time again, these movies they put out on home got way less engagement than they are anticipating. They only got a fraction of the new subscribers they thought they were going to get from these things. And it has been a total and utter disaster for them. It doesn't matter if you like it or not, or if you're like me and you don't like it or not, it's irrelevant whether you like it or don't like it. The numbers are the numbers. It's not a subjective opinion. The numbers are the numbers. This whole home viewing experience has been an abject failure, an absolute financial disaster. Hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. So to say that the reason in the midst of a pandemic when theaters have been shut down for over a year and they're just coming back to life, and we still, by the way... Have not gone back. We have still not returned to a regular new, uh, a regular. um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? A a regular rotation of every week, three to four new movies. Every we still haven't really gotten back into that groove. To say that oh, it's because people love the home viewing market. (laughs) Okay, you can think that, but the numbers don't support that at all. The numbers are the numbers. They're black and white. They're unfeeling. They're unmoving. They have no passions. Numbers are numbers, and it has been a colossal failure up till now. Up till now, that doesn't mean it would continue to be a colossal failure. Who knows what would happen over the next two, three, four, five years? We can all have our opinions about what might happen later on. So we don't know. We'd just be guessing. What isn't a guess is that up until this point, the numbers do not lie. However you try to spin it, they have been a colossal failure. A colossal failure. There's a reason why up until an MCU movie in Black Widow came out that that Disney always kept the numbers secret. Shh, don't tell people don't tell people how nobody has been renting our premium access movies. Don't tell don't talk about it. Shh. And then finally when they had one a Marvel movie that made some money, they got 2 million households to get it. Okay. 2 million. All right. That's the only time they ever came out then and said, oh, hey, look, everybody, we had 2 million purchases. And it took the first Marvel movie in over a year to do it. And then you had the biggest movie star in the world, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, have another one come out, and those numbers dropped in half. So, yeah, it, it just, it is what it is. So I got to disagree with you, Omar. I, again, we're you and I aren't debating about whether... It's a good experience or a bad experience. You and I aren't debating whether it's good for movies or bad for movies. We're not debating about whether it could be better in the future or maybe not better in the future. Those are all different discussions and different debates, and those are good discussions to have. But on the thing of what is the black and white reality right now, I got to disagree with you, brother. I got to disagree. But hey, I'm glad you expressed your point of view in that. It's always good to do that. And I appreciate you for taking the time to do that, my friend. All right. Thanks for sending that in. Uh, next up, we got Diego who writes, I feel like this hasn't been talked about in a bit, but how stoked are you, for, uh, for, uh, how stoked are you all for Christian Bale's portrayal of Gore the God Butcher? Uh, that character is absolutely insane. The more these actors talk how Wild Thor 4 is, the more pumped I become. Yeah, listen, I got incredibly excited. I got incredibly excited um, about when we first heard that, um, that Christian Bale was going to be portraying Gore the God. First of all, when we first found out that Christian Bale was going to be in Thor 4, like, that was crazy. Because he had basically said, Christian Bale had said previously, he had made statements that he was basically done doing comic book movies. He had basically implied over the years that he was done doing comic book movies. So when you're an actor like Christian Bale, where you're already set and you are already acknowledged as one of the premium A-list stars in the business, and you can be very picky and choosy about which movies you want to do and you don't want to do, and you've got an Academy Award on your shelf, and you've got multiple Academy Award nominations and all this kind of stuff, and you've said in the past that I'm kind of done doing comic book movies... And all of a sudden we found out you're going to do a comic book movie. That means there was something very special about the role. That means there was something very, very special about the role to him. And then we found, and we speculated, if you guys remember, we speculated it was going to, he was going to play Gore. And, ter, and sure enough, it turned out he was playing Gore the God Butcher. And if you guys, now Gore the God, God Butcher is not a character that's been around a long time. It's it's actually relative. I think it was in the 2010s. You guys can correct me in the in the live chat if you're wrong, but I don't think he actually even came out until the 2010s that uh the Gore the God the main Gore the God Butcher story actually came out. But you know, it's it's this guy who the basic gist of Gore the God Butcher is this. He is this guy who is from this unnamed planet. And he's from a race of beings that really, you know, uh, had a very strong religious system. But his people were always suffering. And finally, he had enough. I'm paraphrasing. This is a very, very quick sign. Finally, he had enough. And he was like, screw the gods. Either they're not there or they're there and they're getting their jollies off of our suffering. Screw them. And ultimately, he kind of became, he went on this mission that he was going to go throughout the universe and kill all the gods, which ultimately then leads him across Thor, right? And so it's it's a fabulous story. How close, how much Taika is going to adapt that from the original comic, who knows? But the character himself is fascinating. And being played by Christian Bale is fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. So very stoked, Diego. Very, very stoked indeed. All right, uh, next up. Uh, let's see, but John writes, the biggest mistake Disney ever made was not dividing rise of Skywalker into two films. No, the biggest mistake Disney ever made was releasing star Wars, the rise of Skywalker. Anyway, obviously part two would not have been released last year, but just imagine how excited we would all be if we knew that there was a new star Wars film coming later this year. Uh, I, 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 first of all, the rise of Skywalker was already overdrawn, drawn out. There's no splitting that into two films. Number two, I personally, just me personally, I'm sure there are those out there. Absolutely. I'm just saying for me personally, I don't personally know anybody that if there was a Star Wars, the rise of Skywalker part two coming out next month, I don't personally know anybody that would be really excited about it. I know I wouldn't be. Uh, just because I really, really dislike Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, I would not be excited about part two. Not at all. So, um, but again, that's the beautiful thing about film, dude. It's, It's all subjective. There are some who love The Rise of Skywalker and that's awesome. I celebrate that. I wish, I'm jealous of you. If you like Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, I'm jealous because I wish I had that experience. I didn't. I had a different experience, unfortunately, but I'm glad you enjoyed it, my friend. All right, next up. We got Seymour Butts who writes, is there Seymour Butts here? Yeah, the little uh, thing. I saw a free guy yesterday and uh, came out thoroughly happy. Felt like they could have trimmed a, a, trimmed a smidge off. Overall, very good. Cameos were good, used especially in the closing of Act 1. Uh, cameo, I had to see uh, the credits just to make sure I was right. Yeah, there is, just so you know, you'll have to look to find him. But I'm going to tell you guys it's not as a spoiler because if you don't know this, you won't know to look for him. Hugh Jackman is in Free Guy. But you're going to have to keep your eyes out, keep your ears open to see if you can pick out where he is. But it's one of those things. Anyway, Seymour, I'm glad you had a chance to see it, and I'm glad you enjoyed it, dude, because I I freaking love this movie. All right, next up. Seymour Butts also writes, hey, Jonico, I recently binged some comedy specials on Netflix, and my wife said uh, they were good and said, yes, they were funny as fuck. And she goes, but I didn't hear any laughter. Made me feel like a psycho. Uh, Am I wrong for this? Thanks and good good weekend. So are you saying, pardon me, are you saying you watch some comedy specials with your wife and she said she liked them, but she didn't actually laugh? I don't know. That doesn't make you psycho. Listen, I've been telling people for a little while now now, granted, I'm a little biased because he's my favorite comedian right now. But if you guys have not seen, I just went to go see, me and I went to go see Joe Coy in concert. Got his, uh, got the autographed pop toy here. If you guys have not seen Joe Coy's Netflix specials, especially his one in Hawaii, especially his one in Hawaii, you got to get on that. You absolutely got to get on that. It's, it's fantastic. All right. Uh, thanks for writing that in, man. Next up, Statesman writes. Uh, what's your favorite MCU opening titles? Oh, I I don't know. I've never even thought of it. I don't know. Uh, sometimes they change up the fanfare music. For me, the silence of Infinity War was chilling. The entire audience cheered at first, but quickly went quiet. Loki season finale compilation voiceover was also great. Um, huh. I don't. The, first of all, yes, that opening of Infinity War where everything's just quiet and you hear. The distress signal, by the way, let me just check to see with you guys in the live chat. Little trivia. In the op- We've talked about it on the show before, but in the opening of Infinity War, when all you hear is that one voice, that's a distress, distress signal, CBR already got it, was the distress signal calling out that we're being attacked. It is the voice. CBR got it first, but so did Quirky Joe, uh, Ash, uh, Noah Waltz, and a bunch of others. The director of the first Thor movie, the second most underrated comic book movie of all time, in my opinion, the great Kenneth Branagh actually did the voice of that. They actually brought in Kenneth Branagh to do that voice. I thought that was great. That is a great opening. That's a great opening. Um, I don't know. To be honest, I don't really think about it that way. There is something very exciting. I Do you guys remember in the live chat? I can't remember which movie they did it for. Did they do it for Spider-Man Far From Home? I can't remember when that dun, dun 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 and you got the Marvel things going but instead of all the different Marvel characters they showed Stan Lee. Do you guys was that for Spider-Man Far From Home they did? Did they do that for that one or was it for another one? I can't remember. Oh, it was for Captain Marvel. Thank you James Argenta, uh Venge Chicken, CBR, Andre, everything. It was Captain Marvel. You guys are right. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Yeah. That was I mean, that was heart moving to see that come up on screen. And then I think they did it again for Chadwick Boseman uh, for one of the movies after he had passed away. Um, But anyway, yeah, that one was pretty good too. But again, I don't remember all them off the top of my head, but that Infinity War one is a great one Statesman to mention. All right, Uh, let's see. Ryan Trabuco writes. And tips in like $50. Thank you, Ryan, for supporting our channel on that level, man. That is really generous of you. Thank you so much. Um, And Ryan writes... Happy Friday. Here's some Campia classroom tuition. I recently watched My Cousin Vinny, excellent movie, uh, and had previously heard some mixed mixed reviews about My Cousin Vinny. I love My Cousin Vinny. Uh, I thought it was hysterical, hysterically funny. I love Marissa Tomei in this movie, too. Have a great weekend. By the way, help me out in the live chat room, guys. But if I'm not mistaken, did Marissa Tomei not win an Academy Award for this? I could be wrong. Hold on a second. Let me, let me look this up. Uh, my Cousin Vinny IMDB. I think she won. Okay, so you guys are saying, uh, James Argenta is saying yes, she did. Yeah, yeah I, I thought she did. Let me just bring Joe Pesci's amazing in it and the Karate Kid himself Ralph Macchio. Where's the award stuff? Uh, Here we go. So yeah, it was only nominated for one Academy Award and that was for Best Supporting Actress for Marissa Tomei and she did win the Best Academy Award. She, she won the Best Academy Award. She won the Best Supporting Actress Academy Award for that. But I'll tell you what, I thought the movie is wonderful. I really do. I think that whole movie is run. Joe Pesci's fantastic in it. I just think it's just a delightful movie. So I'm glad you had a chance to check it out, man. I, I did like it too. Okay, next up, we got Chad Johnson who writes, Uh, Hey John, I'm a huge wrestling fan and I am so excited for heels, which is set to premiere on stars. Uh, stand for me in Australia. I don't know what that means. Uh, have you had any anticipation for this? I know you and especially your wife do enjoy pro wrestling. Keep it up champion. Well, thanks a lot for that. So yeah. So, uh, the star of arrow, Stephen Amell, good Canadian kid. I'm a big fan of Stephen Amell. I'll always be a Stephen Amell supporter. He's got a new show coming out called Heels, kind of based on professional wrestling. Now, I used to watch wrestling a lot as a kid. I'll still watch the big events, SummerSlam, WrestleMania. I'll still watch them, but I don't really follow it all that much like my wife kind of does now. All I know is that they got rid of Braun Strowman and um, Bray Wyatt. How do you get rid of your two biggest stars? Anyway, uh, so WWE just recently got rid of their two biggest stars, which I have no idea why they did that. But at any rate, so it's about professional wrestling. I'm going to tell you this. I am interested in watching heels only because it's Stephen Amell. I watched the trailers. um, And I I, got to admit, if Stephen Amell wasn't the one behind this show, I probably wouldn't even check it out. I, I don't think the trailers or the marketing or the promotions for it have been all that great, but it is Stephen Amell. And since it's Stephen Amell, it'll get my attention. I'll watch it and give it a shot, but only because of Stephen Amell. So we'll see. We'll see. All right. Uh, next up we've got, uh, pray, Prady Iyer writes, uh, Hey, long-time listener from Asia. Well, thank you for writing in, man. I appreciate that. About the last Airbender Netflix series, the original creators were initially the showrunners, but later left the project due to creative differences. The word down the grapevine is Netflix wanted to change certain characters gay and certain characters to black. By the way, none of that has ever been verified. There are some people who started rumors about this and that, and none of that was ever, just take that as complete bullshit. Just take it as complete bullshit. That has never been verified by any real source. So yes, there were some, some bullshit things started a, a rumor that this and that, but that has never, ever been verified. Just keep that in mind. Just keep that in mind that it's 90% it's probably bullshit. 10% chance that maybe it's true, but 90% chance that that rumor is absolute bullshit. Anyway. Netflix wanted to change certain characters to gay and certain characters to black. They wanted Soka to be gay and Toph, uh, Toph to be black. The original creators didn't want to make such changes, by the way. None of that's been verified either. That's, that's just stuff being made up uh, to the characters and changes in the storyline. For example, if Soka was gay, how could he fall in love with the moon princess? The loss of her is very important for Soka's character. I get that Netflix wants diversity. I, too, I want it, too. But it also has to serve the story and the characters. Uh, diversity for the sake of diversity sometimes ruins the original story. Netflix has done that mistake in the past. But what are your thoughts on this? All right. Number one, there's been no confirmation that any of that rumor is act- actually true at all. None of that. None of that. And if it was, there's been no verification at all that that's why the original show creators aren't involved anymore. None. No evidence, no proof of that whatsoever. Maybe there will be someday in the future, but as of right now, nothing says, there's nothing reliable out there that says any of that is true. Okay, just be clear about that. Second, and Andre Flores just said exactly what I'm about to say in the live chat. He just said exactly what I'm about to say. It doesn't change. So even if they wanted to do that, it doesn't change Soka's character at all. Just change it from. Uh, what by the way, what was the girl's name? What was the girl the the the, uh, the, the princess's name that he fell for? I can't remember her actual name. Um, uh, I can't remember her actual name. Uh, you okay? Yeah. Well, instead of saying, you know. She's the moon princess, just make it the moon prince. And all of a sudden, it's the exact same story. It's the exact same story. Except instead of Soka being heterosexual and in love with a heterosexual female character, he's homosexual and he's in love with a homosexual character. It doesn't actually change the story at all. But again, it's irrelevant because nothing has said that this is true. Nothing at all has said is true. But if for some wild reason it is, you can do it and fundamentally not change the story at all. And just say instead of a moon princess, it's a moon prince. There. Now you got the exact same story. It's just that you have a gender difference. Other than that, it's the exact same story. But again, there's nothing there that says this is true. Nothing, nothing. Again, maybe information comes out down the road that does verify that it's true. But as of right now, there's... Nothing there to it. All right. Uh next up. Uh and oh, I guess this will be the final question today. This last one comes to us from Steven Schneiderman, who tips in like $20. Thank you so much for that, man. I appreciate that very much. He writes, Hey John, how you doing today? I'm doing great today, thank you. I was rewatching Combat Kai on Netflix. Do you mean Cobra Kai? And I can see why DC wants to cast... Oh, okay, so you meant Cobra Kai, not Combat Kai, the new show from Netflix, the spinoff of Cobra Kai. It's called Combat uh, Combat Kai. Anyway, on Netflix, and I can see why DC went on to cast Zolo, uh, Marion Dina, I never know how to pronounce his name, by the way, as Blue Beetle. We talked about this the other day. He was a good pick. Now it's being rumored that Tanner Buchanan could be eyed to play Jason Todd's Red Hood. By the way, that's a bullshit report. Um... Now it's being rumored that Tanner uh, Buchanan could be eyed to play Jason Todd's Red Hood, uh, which would be uh, it would be released straight on HBO Max, and he was also asked who he would like to portray, and he said he would love to play Robin and even Nightwing along the way. What are your thoughts on this? Thank you uh, for the Beat movie show. I'm going to guess you meant the best movie show on the planet. Okay, so there is a rumor going around out there That one of the other kids from there, Tanner Buchanan, is going to be playing Red Hood in a straight-to-HBO Max series or movie. Be 100% clear about this. That has not come from any legitimate news source. Now, that does not mean, let me be clear, that does not 100% mean that it's totally fake. All right? But... When a big story like that, what would be a big story like that comes out and none of the legitimate news sources confirm it and none of the legitimate news sources also report it or back it up, 98% of the time that means the story's not true. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. But just be very clear right now that as of right now, None of the legitimate news sources, none of the legitimate news sources, have 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 even brought this up or mentioned it. So just be clear about that. So there's a very, very high probability that this is not true. If it were true, and now we're talking fantasy land. Uh, and by the way, RM sends in a super chat badge in live chat. Thank you, RM. Were it turn out to be true, hey, listen, Red Hood's a the the story of Red Hood is really interesting. You know. A dead Robin that wasn't really dead comes back as this thing. I mean, it, it could be very, very interesting. Depending on how they wanted to do it and if they wanted to do it. Um, but again, uh, it, it's almost, it's not even worth discussing because it's, it does not come from any of the legitimate news sources, right? Like the John Campius show, a lot of other things were not legit news sources, that's why I very, very rarely will like break scoops. I hear about a lot of stuff. I have a lot of stuff emailed to me every day, but very, very rarely only like once every three or four months. will I actually let you guys know something that hasn't been out in the news yet. But even when I do it, I tell you guys take it with a grain of salt because I am not one of the actual legitimate news trades. So I'm going to tell you this and you'll find out later that it's true, but even if it's coming from me, you need to take it with a grain of salt because I am not a legitimate news source. I'm not Variety. I am not the Hollywood Reporter. I am not The rap. I am not Deadline. I am not Entertainment Weekly. I'm not any of the actual legitimate news sources. So until it comes from there, take it with a massive grain of salt. And by the way, Mufasa sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you so much, man. I, I appreciate that very much, dude. All right. Um... You know what? Uh, Yeah, we got to wrap it up here today because I got to get ready for this thing tonight. Uh, But listen, there are still more questions to come from Anonymous, from Iceman, from James Argenta and Josh Mickle, and others. Listen, guys, don't worry. A little bit later tonight, uh, Robert Meyer Burnett is going to do a companion video for me because I'm going to be out tonight. But he's going to do a big companion video and he's going to get us all caught up on all the questions that have been sent in. So if you sent in a question and it hasn't been answered yet, Check it out. Uh, check out the companion video. that will come out much later tonight. Uh, it'll certainly be out before tomorrow's show. And you should you see your question there. Anyway, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campus Show, thank you guys so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for being here, to all of you for making this show part of your day. And a special thank you to all you guys who sent in those live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel financially along the way. And all of us involved at the John Campus Show, thank you guys so very much for that support. Okay, guys, remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.